Father, thanks for giving us a space to slow down for a moment in the midst of busy weeks, friends and family, activities and things going on continue to get busy. It's so important for us to stop and just listen what you might have for us to quiet our hearts, to hear you. And I pray that that's what we would do this morning, that we would hear from you, <clears throat> from your word, Father, from your spirit, that you would open our eyes to see what we need to see and open our ears to hear what we need to hear. And God, would you transform our hearts to look more like your son, Jesus. And in doing that, we would find true peace that the world cannot offer, but you can. So be with us, Lord, as we uh, jump into this series in Advent. Teach us what you want to teach us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. I am uh, John, one of the pastors here. Thankful you guys joined us today. It is very weird watching you in that direction instead of two rows. Uh, if you're, this is your first time here, we rearranged all of our chairs and everything for Advent. It looks great, and uh, we are jumping into a season, uh, as Charles mentioned and Stephen mentioned, for four weeks leading up to Christmas called Advent. If you're not familiar with Advent, it comes from the church calendar. We've been practicing it as Christians for years and years and years. And it's Latin, and it actually means arrival or coming somewhere and kind of an expectation of that. Um, our family, we have a dog. How many dog, dog people are in the house? We've got some dog people. Does anybody like cats here? Wow, that's surprising to me. Okay, well, we like dogs. Uh, cats are welcome as well, but we, we have a yellow lab named Mabel. She's a sweet dog. She's about nine years old, and I'm usually the first one to get up in the morning, I'm, and I'm usually exiting my uh, bedroom door at about 5 a.m. almost every morning, and who is waiting for me every single morning in anticipation is Mabel, nine years old. It's like she's never had a bite of food ever before. She's wagging her tail. She's so excited not to see me, but what I bring to her, because the first thing I do is I go downstairs and I feed her, and she eats like she's never eaten before. What she is doing is she is expecting and waiting and waiting for my arrival and what I have to bring her and what comes along with me. And the idea of Advent is that we should have this anticipation in us during this season. One, for when Jesus came the first time, he comes to earth, he crashes into the middle of the story, and he comes as a baby to save us. He comes, and that's an arrival of this new king that we worship and we are so excited to learn from. But also, we should have an expectation for him to come again and finally make all things right. And so that's this expectation, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And really, we're entitling this season, Peace on Earth. And this idea of peace, the, the, the literal world peace is shalom in the Hebrew and biblical. And let me, uh, let's hear from our friend uh, that gives us a little bit of a better understanding of this definition. I like this. It says this, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. In English, we call it peace, but it means far more than just peace uh, of mind or cease fire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight in a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as the creator and savior opens doors and speaks welcome to the creatures whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. 
And don't you long for that? I mean, can't you understand it? Maybe some of you experienced it this last week as family and friends are in town and you're smashed together with certain people that you have to be in rooms with. Maybe some of you love those people. Maybe some of you, it's really hard for you. But there's a sense of like, it just shouldn't be like this. Like whether you're a Christian or not, there's a sense of like everything's not exactly how it's supposed to be. Sometimes you can get a taste of things being in the right order, but often it feels like it shouldn't shouldn't be like this. This is what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about shalom, that this peace, that there is rightness. In the first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creates everything and he makes it in perfect order. And then the very end of the Bible, when he comes back and he's going to make it all right again. That's this idea of shalom. And we see early on in the story in Genesis chapter 3, everything kind of goes off the tracks because of men and women and their decision, what the Bible calls sin, to not follow God, but to do what they want to do. And we're going to be looking in these four weeks at four areas that shalom has been shattered, it's been fractured, it's been vandalized, and how do we get back to what God is desiring for us in peace and wholeness? So we're going to look at one area this morning, you can throw up that next diagram, that we, because of sin, we have been broken in our peace with God. We've been broken in our peace with other people. We've been broken in our peace with ourselves, and we've been broken in our peace or wholeness with creation. And so we're going to look at what does Jesus have to do with giving us peace with God, giving us peace with our neighbor, giving us peace with ourselves, and giving us peace with creation and our vocations and how we live in this space, in this world. That's where we're going to go for the next several weeks. And so we're going to look today specifically at how we have peace with God. And Jesus coming onto the scene in the gospel of Mark, Jesus opens his public ministry with these words. He says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, now after John, that's the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so Jesus coming to earth actually gives us a chance. It gives us an opportunity to be right with God again, to understand and feel that peace, that shalom, that everything is in right order because Jesus comes to the story. When Jesus comes, his arrival brings peace. It brings shalom. Where he is, is peace. So let's look at peace with God. What does that mean for us in this first week? How do we be rightly connected again with God? I want to ask the married people in the room. I want to survey you. I know not everybody in this room is married, but most of you, uh, there's a good amount that are. Um, On a scale of zero to 10, 10 being high, how would you rate your marriage? Now, don't turn to your spouse and tell them the answer because it's probably different uh, for you and for them possibly. But my wife and I teach these marriage conferences, and we talk about no marriage is static. It's always moving. And we use these terms. It's either moving to become one. You and your spouse are moving together to become one, or you're drifting into isolation, right, on a scale of zero to 10. And so some of us are doing very well in our marriage. We're excited to be married. We love our spouse. We're trying to love them and care for them. We're moving towards oneness. And some of us, for some reason, have drifted into isolation, and we don't feel connected for whatever reason to our spouse. And the Bible uses marriage as one of its primary metaphors to describe our relationship with God, the church's relationship with God. So everybody can answer this question, whether you're married or not, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being high, 
how do you feel like you're doing in your relationship with God? What number would you give yourself if you honestly evaluate your relationship with God? Do you feel connected with God? Do you feel like you're in tune with God, that you guys are doing well, or do you feel like you're distant from God? We'll talk about why you feel that way in a little bit, even why you're evaluating yourself on, on, on what basis are you evaluating whether it's high or low in your relationship with God. Because sometimes we can feel very connected with God, and then sometimes we just feel distant. We feel like God is far. We feel not connected with Him. How do we get back to feeling connected and having peace and rightness and wholeness in our relationship with God? And really, kind of the key idea this morning is that peace with God, fullness, shalom, peace with God is not found in religion, but is found in repentance. Peace with God is not found in religion, but in, is in repentance. Now, these words, both religion and repentance, are kind of churchy words. Let me define them for you if you are not used to them. Religion is this idea that you do all these right things. The right things that you do equal God's being pleased with you. And so at the end of the day, when you end up dying, you have these scales. You've kind of understood this, that if you do more good than bad, you kind of outweigh, the, the good outweighs the bad, and you'll, you'll be in. You'll be good. You're good with God. And every single other religious system works in this kind of order, that you need to do these certain things to please whatever God is. But repentance, on the other hand, is the literal definition is you're moving one way and you do a 180 and you turn and you go another direction. So when we're talking about peace with God or wholeness with God or connection with God, we're talking about, again, not religion, but repentance. And we need to address two types of people in the room because the Bible addresses two types of people in the room. Um, the Bible addresses the people that have made a decision for Jesus, God's people, Christians, and the Bible also addresses people that have yet to make that decision. And so I want to talk briefly to the non-Christian in the room for a second. If you've not made a decision for uh, for Jesus, you would not claim to call yourself a Christian. Uh, maybe you came with your family because you're here for Thanksgiving, or, or maybe somebody brought you here this morning. Um, you need to know that God loves you, that you have inherent value because you are created in His image, and that He loves you, but you also need to know you're not at peace with Him. You're not, the Bible says, in right relationship with God if you have not made a decision for Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Bible is clear all throughout it. Here's a couple passages. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 say this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. See, the Bible teaches everywhere that God is holy and righteous and perfect, and because of our sin that everybody is born into, our imperfections, the things that we do not do well, that separates us from a holy God. I love how in the early church it's described in this way, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5, this interaction here says this, on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all those who are high priestly families, so the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, verse 7, and then they had set them in their midst, talking about the disciples, and they inquired, 
by what power or what name did you do this? They're referring to um, a healing of somebody that just happened. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the many people and elders, if we were being examined today concerning a good, or a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible is clear that there is no other way to peace with God, to bridge that gap, to get back to Him other than Jesus, because the wages of sin are death. What we have earned because of our imperfection is continual separation, but because of the grace of God and what Jesus has done, He has paid that debt on the cross for us. How do you receive peace if you find yourself in this situation where you're going, no, nah, I just, I'm not sure if I believe Jesus. It's very clear, the Bible says. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the folks that are in here that don't already follow Jesus, you don't know Jesus, from your own admission, you would say, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. You are not at peace with God because you need to have Jesus in your life to bridge that gap. What about for the rest of us in the room that have made the decision to follow Jesus and we still feel distant in that scale? Just like my marriage, sometimes we are married no matter what. It's legally married, but sometimes we aren't getting along. How do we reconnect? How do we be connected again? For the Christian, sometimes we choose to sin even though its power has broken our lives. When this happens, our permanent relationship with God as his children is not affected, but our fellowship or our connection with him can be injured. So I want to talk about these two words of relationship and fellowship. Relationship meaning like your relationship with God, just like um, uh, I have two sons and a daughter and I will always be their father. No matter what they do, no matter what I do, we are bound together in that relationship. I'll always be their dad. They will always be my child. But this word fellowship, which the Greek is koinonia, this intimate connection can sometimes be severed because of our interactions with one another. And so it's important for us in the midst of knowing what it means to have peace with God, how these two words interact with each other. So I want to look at that slide real quick and talk about the relationship with God. If you've made that decision to trust Christ in your life, you have a relationship with God. And let's talk about the basis of that relationship. Number one, it began when you received Christ. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 tell us, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human uh, decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So when you enter into that relationship, when you accept Jesus, you have a relationship with God that you did not have before. It began when you received Christ. Your relationship with God is also everlasting. 1 Peter 1, chapter three through, uh, verses 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what Peter is saying. He says, when you begin a relationship with God, when you enter and ask Jesus into your life and begin to follow him, not only do you begin a relationship with Christ, but it is everlasting. It cannot be taken away. It is imperishable. You will have it forever. There is nothing you can do to lose your relationship with Christ. You have peace with him. The third thing in your relationship with God that is consistent is it is maintained totally by God. You begin it when you receive Christ, it's everlasting. It's maintained totally by God. John 10, verses 27 through 29 says, my sheep, this is Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Your relationship with God is totally maintained by God and not by you. The relational piece of your connection with him. No one can take him out of your hand. It's true. And then the last thing in your relationship with God that the scripture tells us is that it never changes. Your relationship never changes. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The idea that you have a relationship with God because of Jesus and all those things are true, that it begins when you receive Christ, that it's everlasting, that it's totally maintained by God and not you, and that it never changes should give us great comfort and great peace this morning. But what about your fellowship with God, which is your connection Let's see what the Bible has to say about not your relationship, but your fellowship with God. Number one, it also began when you received Christ. Colossians 2 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so your fellowship, not only your relationship, is connected when you trust Jesus, but your fellowship, your connection with God begins at the same time when you receive Christ. But let's look at the difference of it being everlasting, is that it can be hindered. Your fellowship with God, your connection with God can be hindered, the Bible says. It says in Psalm 32, 3 through 5, for when I kept silent, this is David speaking, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of my sin. What is David saying here is that even though your relationship is secure with God, your fellowship, your connection can be hindered based on what you are doing. If you are harboring sin, if you are harboring things from God, if you're going, I don't really want to deal with God right now. I know I did something wrong, but I don't care. You are breaking your connection with him. It can be hindered, your fellowship with God. 
The next thing is that it's maintained in part by you, your fellowship with God. Your relationship with God is maintained all by Him, but your fellowship with God is sometimes related to or maintained by you. 1 John 1.9 says this. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at the first word of that verse there. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. So part of my fellowship connection with God is not just sitting in the reality of that he is my father and I am his son, but it's also going like, what are unconfessed sins that I need to bring to him that I've kind of been holding on or I haven't really been confessing? That will mess up your fellowship or your connection with God. And then the last thing in your fellowship with God is that it changes when you sin. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let me just read that again and think about that. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. So even though your relationship with God is secure, it cannot be changed, your connection, your fellowship with God, if you are in sin and if you are holding that sin, you're harboring that sin, you haven't forgiven someone else, you know that you have done something wrong and you have not made it right with God or with other people, it says the Lord would not have listened. Which is a strange strange concept. If if we have this relationship with God, if we have this Father in God, like, what, he's not going to listen to us at certain times? One of the interesting things about getting married, I always ask this question of new married couples, which is fun for me. Like in their first year, I was like, what's the most surprising thing in the first year of being married, of like living with another human that you love, right? Um, <laughs> Because you learn all these new things when you're first married and you're shoved into a place with one another of like how they sleep or kind of their mannerisms or things like that. Or like this one couple's like, I didn't know he chewed his yogurt. He chewed his yogurt. You could chew, chew yogurt. That's kind of interesting. But you learn all these things about being married for the first time. And when I, I got married, I have a beautiful wife who has long hair. I never had long hair. So I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know. I had, I had a brother. And there's all kinds of things that, that come along with long hair. And I see men in the back nodding their head. Um, because in the shower, <laughs> I, now, I, I wouldn't want to change any of it, okay? So just hear me say that. And I've already asked my wife if I could share this, and she said yes. So um, know that it's given a green light. But in the shower, I realized that all of a sudden, over a couple of months, like, the, the water is, like, pooling. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I see there's a drain here. I don't quite understand what's happening because um, I had not experienced that with just short hair. And so finally, you know, you, you, you finally get under it and you take the drain out and you just, you, you pull it out and it's, it's like its own entity. It's like it's alive, you know what I mean? You, you open it and there's just hair. There's just like, I didn't even know you had hair that long. And it's just, it just like doesn't end because what's happened is there's been a slow erosion over time in the shower. That pieces of hair have fallen down. It's never once at a time, it's, but it's, it's been this slow erosion. What is it doing? It's clogging the drain. It's not allowing the water to flow how it needs to flow because there's something kind of stopping it or getting it stuck or tangling it up. And what the Bible is saying is if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, it's like the drain of your soul is getting clogged up. 
over time, you don't even realize it. And then it starts to puddle up and you feel like, man, I feel like God is distant to me. I feel like he's not here. And it's like, well, that's because you haven't unclogged the drain. You've just been letting sin happen. And even if you know it's sin, you're like, well, I don't want to worry about that or I'm not even going to think about that. And it's just building over time. And then you feel like God has left you. God hasn't gone anywhere. The problem is that you have this unconfessed sin that's just kind of clogging your connection with God. And why we confess every single week in our liturgy, in that second part of after we sing the first song of the call to worship, and then we take a time of confession, whether it's corporately like we did today, or it's just in our seats, and we say, hey, we just want you to take a time to confess, is to unclog that drain of your soul. It's to say, man... I know for me, when I'm sitting there during that time, and I'm just rewinding my week, maybe even my morning, and thinking, man, where did I not love God? And where did I love people? There's plenty of opportunities to confess that, for me at least, of going, man, God, I blew it. I'm so sorry. I blew it again, and I'm sorry. That's not right. That's not okay. I need to confess that. I need to unclog that hair out of the drain of my soul so that I can feel connected with God again. And all of us sin, we break fellowship with God all the time, and we don't feel connected. We don't feel at peace with God. We feel distant from Him because of our unconfessed sin. Well, what do we do with that? How do we continue to confess with God and unclog the drain of our soul. Um, 1 John 1, 9, as we just looked at it, let's look at it again. It just says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an easy formula for us. God has made it very, very easy for us to be reconnected with him. Number one, he says, we need to agree that you have sinned. That's the first part of confession. Do you agree that you've sinned? Do you agree that you've missed the mark? Do you agree that you are wrong in what you've done in loving God and loving people? Can you agree with that? Secondly, thank God that he's already forgiven you. That what Jesus did on the cross paid not only for your past sin, not only for your present sin, but for your future sin. It's paid for. It's taken care of. Thank God for that in your midst of your confession, and then turn and repent. Turn away from sin and trust God to change the wrong attitudes and actions of your heart. Say, man, God, I blew it. I'm convicted by your spirit. I know that was wrong. Thank you for forgiving me because of your work on the cross and me not holding to some kind of standard. Because a lot of us, what we'll do when we feel like we've sinned, we feel guilty of that sin that the spirit convicts us of, what we typically want to do, if you're anything like me because of how you grew up, it's like, okay, God, man, I blew it. Here's what I'm going to do to make it right. I'm going to do this. Man, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible every day now. Like, I'm going I'm to share my faith with everybody. I'm going to be in church every single time because you start to build this ladder because you think your worth is based on what you do for God instead of going, I blew it. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that anymore. There's a difference between those two postures. And again, what happens a lot of times for us, we don't want to confess because one, we are prideful and stubborn and we, we start to evaluate ourselves based on everybody else. And so we go, well, I know what he did. I know it's not that bad. So I don't really need to confess. I don't really need to repent because I'm pretty good. 
You start to grade yourself on this curve. You think that God is grading on this curve, and you go, okay, man, I messed up, but that's okay. Like, like, again, I know I'm not like this guy over here, and that's pride. The Bible is clear, men and women. Like, like pride, we, we, we talk about pride in our culture um, in a very positive way, right? It's written on athletic walls, and you should have pride, and, and you should pull up your, like, you need to have, I'm proud to be an American, and all the, God is not neutral on pride. He's anti-pride. He is against our pride. Now, if you're confused on that language, because I think you can be proud of your children, um, C.S. Lewis has the best chapter on pride I've ever written in his book, Mere Christianity. I think it's chapter eight or chapter nine. It is the best chapter on pride I've, I've read. So read that. But this idea that we can be okay with pride or kind of flirt with pride or feel good about, like God is just anti that. The antidote for pride is humility every single time. And it's repentance and it's brokenness and being like, I'm, I'm not as good as I think I am. So we don't confess, one, because we're prideful and we start to perform. We have this kind of grade on a curve mentality. Or two, we don't believe that God will really forgive us. We come from families. We come from homes. If we did something wrong, man, we paid the price dearly. And so we don't want to confess what's really wrong because we want to kind of hide it. And that, that's what we see right in the very beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3. What do Adam and Eve do as soon as they sin? What, they're hiding from God because they don't like what they've done. And so a lot of us hide and we pretend and we kind of put ourselves in these pockets where we really don't have to be honest with everybody and we don't have to be honest with God. And it's killing our connection with God. It's killing it. God is clear that he loves us. Our relationship is secure if you know Jesus. But your fellowship is dependent not on religion and what you do, but on repentance of continuing to turn and continuing to confess, continuing to be humble before the Lord and say, God, I need you. That's the way to do it. But often we don't do it because we either pretend or we perform. God is saying, stop. Stop. I'm here for you. Just come to me. I love how Jesus puts it as we kind of begin to close in Luke chapter 18. He tells this story. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he says this. He said, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, who's a religious leader at the time, and another a tax collector, which is the very bottom of the barrel in society at the time. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And I tell you, this man went to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. The idea this morning of being in right standing with God, having peace with God, having shalom with God, having right connection with God, again, is not found in religion, doing these right things to earn your way to God, but it's found in repentance. And that repentance is always based in a relationship. 
That's based in the relationship with Jesus. Let's stop trying to earn back our favor with God by doing certain things, saying certain things, and let's turn and come to Him. He's just waiting for us to come back to Him. Let's pray. Father, as we desire peace with you, rightness with you, right relationship with you, right connection with you, we know that our sin is a barrier to that connection. And Father, we often believe that it is us cleaning ourselves up in a right way for you to be okay with us, and we don't realize that you're just waiting for us to turn back to you like the lost son and the prodigal son that comes back, can't even say anything, and you run towards us to embrace us. Would you help us realize in the midst of being right with you, rightly connected with you, that is the key? That Jesus, because of our relationship with you, we can come back to the Father time and time and time again. And you desire that for us. We ask that you would make it real to us. We ask this as we continue to go on throughout our week and even into the holidays, there's going to be plenty of opportunity that we blow it in loving you and loving other people. When we do that, would we confess honestly and openly? Would we turn from our sin and would you change us? We ask it in your name. Amen.